First Peter chapter number five, man, what a blessing to be in the house of God with you tonight. So many places that it weren't, if it were not for the good grace of God, we, we could be tonight. Uh, we could be laying down in the hospital and, uh, could be sick. We could be our, our body in the graveyard. And, uh, of course that wouldn't be the worst thing. If you know the Lord, we'd be present with the Lord. Uh, could be down at the jailhouse. And, uh, I'm just going to say some of y'all shouldn't count your chickens before they hatch because I know some of y'all have live warrants for you. Amen. But as of right now, you're able to be here in the house of God. And uh, I, some of y'all started looking at each other when I said that. Um, we're not going to dive into that, but but I'm thankful to get to be here with you this evening. First Peter chapter number five. I'd like to read just three verses tonight and then share a few simple thoughts with you that God used in my heart. I trust he'll use them in yours as well. First Peter chapter number five. Beginning in verse number five, the Bible says, Likewise, ye younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. Yea, all of you be subject one to another, and be clothed with humility. For God resisteth the proud, and giveth grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. Let's pray. Father, we love you tonight. What a blessing to be here, I pray that you'd help us now in these next few moments to have our heart fixed upon you, that, Lord, we, as we approach your word, would not uh, view it academically, Lord, uh, alone, but that we would view it spiritually, Lord, and personally, and that we would seek to hear your voice in, in the word of God and what's preached tonight, Lord. May you be exalted. May Christ be magnified, Lord, and may in all these things we be transformed more into your image. We'll be sure to thank you, Lord. We love you, and we ask it in Christ's name. Amen. If you read through these three verses, you'll notice one word in particular or variation of it that uh, presents itself three different times. You've probably heard a lot of preaching out of these verses. In fact, it's hard to not keep on going and preach about that lion that roareth, that's stalking about and walking about and seeking whom he may devour. But it's interesting to note that the first line of defense that Peter gives us in regards to the spiritual warfare we're in is not one that involves with engaging in boldness and steadfastness in the battle, but rather it has to do with our attitude towards God and towards those that we find ourselves around. Notice this word with me in verse number five. The Bible says that we are to be clothed with humility. We find that word again says God resisteth the proud and giveth grace to the humble. Then in verse six it says, humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time. You know, it sort of leads me to think that Peter uh, had a pretty high opinion of this idea of humility. You hear the word humility a lot. I, I've often said I pride myself on my humility. Uh, I told my wife when we were sitting down there, she asked me, she said, what uh, what passage are you going to preach on? And I told her, I said, I'm preaching on humility. And she said, really? I said, yeah, I thought about just standing up here and letting you look at me for a while. But, uh, of course, we know that's not what humility is, right? Uh, humility is, though it manifests itself externally, it is something that is really an attitude and disposition of the heart. It is a heart's condition. And so humility, before we ever uh, act and behave in a humble way towards others that is meaningful, must first begin with our attitude towards God. And in presenting this idea of humility, Peter gives us some sort of actionable truths about Humility. He talks about how that our outward life is to be a testimony of humility in verse number five. Then he goes on to talk about how that 
changes our relationship with God when we have a humble attitude. And then he says that it's supposed to be an active attitude, a pursuit in our life. In other words, it's not just some people are humble and some people aren't, but rather it's that we must actively, presently of mind, humble ourselves before God. But you know, the first question when I began to read this passage that that popped up in my mind was this, what exactly is humility? Uh, It's one of those things that we could point at people and say that person's a humble person. Uh, We could point at someone's attitude and say, well, that person has an attitude of humility. But really to wrap our our words around it and define it and describe it, what exactly is humility? I don't think humility is self-deprecation. I don't think humility is feeling down about yourself. I don't think that's what humility is. I don't think humility is talking down about yourself. I don't think, and I see nowhere in the Bible that God spurs us to an attitude of of constant sort of self-loathing. I don't think that's what humility is. I don't think humility is believing you're beneath everyone else. But I think we can all recognize that there are some qualities and characteristics of humility. So how do we define those things? Well, I began to think about the Lord Jesus, and it brought me to Philippians chapter number 2. I think in Philippians chapter 2, we have a definition of humility. And if we're going to understand what humility is and how it's to inform our lives, I think we first have to wrap our mind around that definition. We're told in Philippians chapter 2, verse number 5, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. So in other words, if we do what God commands us to, we'll have the mind of Christ and we're exhorted to. Then it tells us what that mind of Christ looked like. It says, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. Being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. You see, really this follows the exact same pattern. In fact, Our text tonight talks about how that God, if we humble ourselves under His hand, will exalt us in due time. And I won't take the time to read it, but Philippians 2 goes on to say how that because of that, God's given Christ a name that's above every name, has exalted Him uh, so that every knee would bow, every tongue would confess uh, that He is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So evidently, this is a description of what humility looks like. Well, there are certain things about the humility that the Lord displayed that's not going to look the same in your life and mine. And there's a very simple reason for that. He is God. We are not. So if we just try to just lay this like a transparency sheet over our life, there may be some things that we miss. We may say, well, I'm not in the form of God. So what does that mean for me? We may say to ourselves, you know, I can't be made in the likeness of anything other than what I am. So what does that mean? And then, of course, it says that he humbled himself under the death of the cross. And there may be people, I don't know, but there could be people in this room that are called on to die a martyr's death. But I don't know that any of us is going to be physically, literally placed on a cross. So what then, if this is what humility looked like by the example and testimony of Jesus, what does that tell us about humility? Well, I think there's three thoughts that I want to give you very quickly by way of introduction. Then we'll jump back over to First Peter and make a few statements. Number one, humility involves the foundation of soberness. Or we could say the foundation of scriptural truth. The Bible says in verse 6 of Philippians 2, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. In other words, the beginning point of the humility that Christ displayed was not rooted in self-deception. 
It wasn't rooted in just cheap, superficial self-deprecation. It wasn't just him talking down about himself. He knew exactly who he was. He was God in the flesh. He understood that it was not inappropriate for him to be on equal footing with God because he is very God. He was then, he is now, he always will be. And so I recognize this truth tonight. Humility does not require me to pretend that I'm something I'm not. Humility is not defined just by me thinking bad about myself. That's not what humility is. And in fact, humility, not only in the life of Christ, but in the life of the believer, is rooted in a right assessment of who we are in relation to God. For the Lord Jesus, He was equal with God. But you and I, if we're going to have a humble attitude and spirit, it begins by recognizing that we are not what He was and is. We are not equal with God. So in other words, the framework through which humility grows and is built is our right understanding of who we are relative to who God is. That we are sinners that have been saved by grace, but that in being saved, God has elevated us above where He found us. I mean, what's salvation for if it don't pick us up out of the mess that we were in? And has elevated us from being a child of the devil to being a child of of God. It's not wrong to recognize that it's a glorious thing to be a child of God, that God saved us out of that mess, that we're better than what we used to be. Hey, listen, we don't do it by our strength or power, but praise God, I'm not what I used to be. I'm not what I could have been. And humility is not pretending as though we're worse than what we are. There are some people and they're sort of a superficial, we could say a faux humility uh, that is very popular in Christianity today of constantly talking bad about and thinking bad about and projecting bad about ourselves. That's not true biblical humility. Biblical humility is rooted in understanding not how terrible we are, but how glorious God is. A person to recognize, hey, listen, it's not humility to recognize we were wretched, rotten, lost sinners. Everybody knew that. All of hell knew that. So that's not what humility is. Humility is not rightfully understanding what we were or how terrible we were, uh, but it is understanding that relative to how glorious and amazing that God is. It's looking at who God is and saying, what a wonderful God, and then looking at us and saying, what a glorious privilege that He would be mindful of me. True humility comes from this foundation of soberness. Number two, it involves taking upon you the form of a servant. Verse 7 of Philippians 2 says, but He made Himself... Of no reputation. I've often thought it's funny. We all have a testimony. But there's a difference between a testimony uh, and a reputation. A testimony relates to how people think of God when they see you. Uh, A reputation has to do with how they think of you when they see you. And we live in a day where reputation is much lauded by modern Christianity. I just note this. Hey, listen, you may have a great reputation. Congratulations for that. Jesus made himself of no reputation. When people looked at him, he always pointed men back to the Father, always. He made himself of no reputation. He could have. And really, if we were to be explicit with that, what that means is he didn't make it his business and job to trumpet himself. In fact, he would later go on to say in John chapter number 16 that there would be a comforter that would come. And that comforter, he would speak of Christ. But Christ said, I don't speak of myself. If I spoke of myself, my witness would not be true. But I speak of my Father and He speaks of me. In other words, He said this, my job is not to run to my defense all the time. My job is not to make sure that I am a proper PR person for my good deeds and for my works. And I would say that that humility involves not making a reputation for yourself, but instead spending your time pointing men towards Christ instead. And it says He took upon Him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. 
So here is the Son of God, God the Son. He is the one to whom eventually all glory and praise is going to flow in God's economy, in God's plan. The only time that the glory and attention will be taken away from Christ is after everything's completed and then He'll deliver the kingdom up to the Father and everything will be all one in one. But until that day comes, the, the, the name that God wants on the lips of men is the name of Jesus. And He deserves all that praise. He deserves all that glory. But when He came to this earth because He had a job to accomplish, His goal was not to accrue that glory to himself, but rather to be a servant to God. Why was that? Was it because he was beneath God? No. Was it because it's all he deserved? No, he deserves much more. But he did so for two reasons. One, because it pleased the will of the Father. And two, because it effectuated the will of God on this earth. In other words, taking upon ourselves humility involves uh, stepping into whatever role God calls us to because that's what accomplishes the work of God in life. There's going to be times in your life that you're going to be called upon uh, to do things that it would be tempting to think are beneath you. Uh, and you say, preacher, what do I do when that time comes? Well, you recognize not just, oh, I'm rotten, I'm wicked, I'm filthy, I'm awful, I don't deserve nothing but hell. That's true, by the way. But instead you look at it and say, if this is the will of God for my life, and if this is what I need to step into to accomplish that will, I'm not too good to do that because this isn't about my reputation. This is about his glory. He took upon him the form of a servant and he viewed his life as being a catalyst for accomplishing the will of God. And whatever that would require of him, he said, that's what I'll do. And then third, it requires the faithfulness of submission. It says being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Isn't it interesting the way that the Bible says being found in fashion as a man? What does that mean? He was found in fashion as a man. What it means is this, because he had robed himself in flesh and had come to this earth, earth with that distinct purpose and mission set before him, though he was called upon to do something that was not pleasing to him, because that was what was required to accomplish the will of his father, being found in fashion as a man, he had taken upon him to robe himself in, in flesh, and it's appointed unto men once to die, and when by the appointed will of God it was time for him to die, he could have bucked that, he could have resisted that, he could have said, I'll not drink of that cup, but he said, no, if I'm going to play this role of being a man, the son of man, the servant of God, then it is appropriate that I should be willing to be submitted unto any death that God sends my way. In other words, humility involves not lying to ourselves about who and what we are, but rather fixing our sight upon God and recognizing who we are relative to who God is. Then it requires us taking on the form of a servant, saying, if, if this is what I have to do to please God and to serve God, that's what I'm here for. It's not inappropriate for me to do that. And then the faithfulness of submission saying, now, God, if this is what you ask of me, because here I am, your humble servant, then how could I ever refuse to do what you want? That's what humility looks like. Now, what does Peter say about humility? I want you to notice these three simple thoughts and we'll be done tonight. Go back to our text in 1 Peter chapter 5. He's been talking about the order in the home and, and he's been talking about the order in the church and he's been talking a lot about the roles that we play, what, what responsibilities we have. And he says in verse number five, yea, all of you be subject one to another. This is sort of like in the book of Ephesians when he talks about the structure of the home and, and he says that, you know, wives are to be subject unto their own husbands and husbands are to love their wives even, even as themselves. And, 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 but before he says any of that, he says this, uh, be subject one to another. 
In other words, what he's saying is, yes, God has a structure, and yes, God has certain roles, and yes, God has a plan, and we all play a role in that, but our desire ought to be to be subject one to another. It should not be to clamor and claw and defend our position, but rather it should be to try to fortify and bless and strengthen and help others' position. Peter says we ought to be subject one to another. Now, what will that look like? Notice first off with me tonight the robe of humility. He says, be clothed with humility. Isn't that interesting language? That's not there by accident. He likens humility to a garment that a person would wear. Be clothed with that humility. What does that suggest to us? Well, two things. I thought about a a garment, a a cloak in particular, a coat, and and why you wear it. And and I think that in this phrase, we have sort of a a little sermon, a little mini-message that he gives us on what he's talking about, because he begins with that statement, yea, all of you be subject one to another. And I think when he talks about humility, he's describing our attitude towards the world. You know, a garment that you wear is the first line of defense through which you experience the elements of the world. We're coming into the winter season. Some of y'all wouldn't know it. you got a fan out. But, but we are coming into the fall and winter and, and things like that. And it's going to be time to break out the heavy coats. And the reason you do that is because if you don't wear those heavy coats, that chill will get on you. Your garment is is determining how you experience and interact with the environment that you find yourself in. Here's what Peter says. The garment we ought to interact with the world through should be humility. Our default attitude in dealing with the world around us should not be one of pride, should not be one of self-exaltation or preservation, but it should be one of humility. We ought to look around at the world around us and ask ourselves this question. What can I do for the Lord today as His servant? How can I react with the world in such a way that when men see me, they can see that I don't serve self. I'm not here to exalt me. I'm not here to promote me. I'm here to promote the will and word and work of God. I'm here to show His love towards a lost and dying world. It, it ought to dictate our attitude towards the world. But you know, it does another thing too, right? We're coming in, as we said, this cold season. And some of y'all break out those heavy coats. But, you know, Christmas is coming on. One of the things, one of the gifts you may want is a new coat. I've got so many coats around my house. I don't know when so many cold people lived in my home. I've got closets full of coats and and, and rooms full of coats and just coats everywhere. Uh, more coats than any man could ever uh, want in his entire life. And, and no doubt, I'll still continue to get more coats from people throughout the rest of my life. And I'll never wear one of them out. There won't be one of them I throw away because it just the, the, the arms falls off of it or something. But the reason we do that is because we're wanting not only, we recognize a, a garment, a coat, not only is important in how it, it, it shapes and informs how we experience the world around us, but we realize there's another side of that. There's our body looking out at the world through that coat, but then there's that world looking at us through that coat as well. When he says we ought to clothe ourselves in humility, I think he's speaking not only of our attitude towards the world. Our perspective should be, how can I serve God in this world today? I'm here to serve the Lord. I'm not here to serve self or to exalt me. I'm here to play whatever function and role and responsibility God has for me, just like the Lord Jesus did in his earthly ministry. But then it also informs our appearance towards the world. What do they see when they look at us? A person's wearing a garment. People are going to see that garment. They're going to behold it, and it's going to tell them some things about who they are. 
Uh, if you see a person in a big, nice, beautiful leather coat, while well, you, you imagine this is somebody who takes pride in their appearance, maybe they've got a little money. If you see somebody that's just got something, it's got patches and holes and tattered, you assume either they're poor, they're impoverished, they can't afford something better, maybe they just don't care. It's going to determine your opinion of them. So I wonder when the world looks at us what their opinion is. Do they look at us and think we think much of ourselves? Or when they see us, do they think we think much of Jesus? You know, here's the problem. For many, the idea of humility is for them to look at us and think we think very little of ourselves. But that's not something God calls us to. And by the way, we don't see that in the life of the Lord Jesus either. You don't ever see him running down himself. You don't ever see him saying, well, what, what a terrible Messiah I am. <laughs> Instead, what you see is him really not talking about himself very much at all, but rather pointing towards the Father. And here's what I'm saying tonight. When the world looks at us, they shouldn't see one a, a, a person that is defined by sort of this cheap, faux, synthetic, superficial, surface level of faux humility. Of, oh, I'm just down on me and I'm such a terrible person. Why are you even friends with me? Why are you even taking time? You know why? Because people are instinctively, they know themselves well enough to know that's fake. Uh, they know that we don't really have that low opinion of ourselves because they don't have that low opinion of themselves. So instead, what they do is they imagine they're just being conned. They imagine that your religion is fake. Instead, what's genuine to them is if they look at you and say, you know, every time I'm around that fella, all he does is want to talk about how good God is. Every time I'm around that lady, all she wants to do is tell me about what God's been doing in her life. She must think a lot of this God that she serves because every time I'm around her, I mean, it don't matter what outfit she's wearing, she puts on that coat of praising the Lord and talking about God. In other words, we have the robe of humility. We find, uh, following with that, the resource of the humble. Not only the robe of the humble, but the resource. He says this, For God resisteth the proud and giveth grace to the humble. Second usage of that word here. What does it tell us? Well, it tells us that if we are willing to be clothed with humility, that's going to affect the way God interacts with us. It produces two things for us. One, he talks about divine support. He speaks of it in the negative. He doesn't talk about God's support, but rather God's active resistance against the proud. When a person makes it their responsibility uh, to put forth their advancement, makes their life about them, making them better, and making men's opinions of them better, and trying to advance themselves and fighting everybody tooth and toenail to defend themselves, when their life is all about them, God says, I'll actively work against that person. Because it's not good for them, it's not good for the people around them, and it's antithetical to the gospel of Jesus Christ. But the, the converse is true as well. If we will clothe ourselves in humility, if we'll choose to make our cause not us but God, God says, I'll work with that person. I'll work for that person. And this speaks to the very issue of pride. Can I ask you this simple question? Would you rather have God working for you and you working for him? Or would you rather have you working for you and God working against you? Do we want the support of the Lord in our life? Now, I understand God loves us no matter whether we're prideful or humble. I understand our job is not to try to get God on board with us, although the Bible does say, if God be for us, who can be against us? So that tells me this, that though God is not moving heaven and earth to try to make everything about us, He does desire, if we'll make our cause Him, He has every reason to make our cause successful. We enjoy the divine support of God if our life is not about us, 
but is about him. And then number two, divine strength. He says he giveth grace to the humble. You know why that is? Because you're going to need a lot of grace if you're going to be humble. You'll need grace to deal with other people that will try to take advantage of your humility. You'll need grace as your flesh consistently harasses you over the fact that you're not taking your own part. Instead, you're trusting that matter to God. Your flesh will come around and it'll say, hey, you ought to stand up for yourself. You ought to defend yourself. You ought to take your own part. You ought, you ought to go out there and make something happen. Your flesh will constantly afflict you about that. Your flesh will constantly tell you that God is not a good steward of your interests. And that if you don't take them into your own hands, they're not going to be looked after. And that you need to do it yourself. Because of that, you know what we need? We need strength. We need the strength to resist the whisperings and, and assault and, and propaganda of our flesh. We need grace when we are humble and, and the devil puts people in our life to afflict us and accost us and berate us and, and make us feel as though we're being foolish and not running to our own defense. We'll need grace to trust God that God is, is capable, that he knows what he's doing and that he's got everything in hand. In other words, you're going to need a lot of grace if you're going to be humble. But you know what you'll find? You'll find that those are the kinds of people that God gives grace to. If you make it your job to push you, to make yourself of reputation, then God will actively work against you because He is not interested in building your reputation. Nowhere in the Bible will you find God interested in, in building glory for others. All glory belongs to Him. And when you make it your job to build yourself up, you have made it His job to tear you down. But if instead you'll say, no, I'm not going to make it my job to build me up. I'm going to make it my job to build God up. God will look at that and say, well, you know, isn't that funny? That's my job too. That's what I was doing anyway. <laughs> all you're doing is yoking up with what God was already doing. He'll say, hey, I'll help them do that. And I'll give them all the grace that they need. Now, there's going to be days it's going to be difficult to be humble. There's going to be days that you're going to look at and say, man, I, I, I just, I, I'm trying to be humble. I, I, I'm trying to trust God, but I can't get away from my flesh can't get away from the devil. What do you do in those days? Well, we see that there is a refuge for the humble. It says in verse number six, humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. Man, there's a lot of things I'd love to say about this, but notice first off with me the cover of the humble. What do you do when you're trying to be humble, but it's a struggle, it's a battle because your flesh is afflicting you and the devil's beating up on you. You just get up close to God and put yourself under his hand. What does the hand denote? It denotes power. It denotes will. It denotes direction. It denotes providence. So here's what you do. You say, well, boy, huh, I don't know. Maybe I'll just stand up for me. Maybe I ought to take my part. Maybe I ought to give them people a piece of my mind. You stop and say, now, wait a minute. God's got all of this in hand. It's not my place to do that. Instead, I'm going to, I'm going to submit myself. I'm going to become obedient, even unto death, even to the death of the cross. A lot we could say about that, man. How do you do this? You die to self. But you say, no, that's not what, I'm not going to take my part. Instead, I'm just going to put myself under the hand of God and I'm going to recognize that He has all of this under control. I'm going to get in my proper place. There's a great many of us that want to talk about humility, but we won't get in our place. I'm talking about relative to God. We won't get it. We want we want to be in the driver's seat. We want God to just sit over there and be quiet and let us drive him around in our life wherever we want. Then we want to say, well, I'm being humble. At least I let God in the car. That's not what humility is. Instead, it's put yourself 
under His control. There's a lot more we could say. We could talk about I've heard preachers say it. You probably have too. If you're under the hand of God, nothing can fall on you unless it comes through God's hand uh, in, in the first place. We could talk about being under His hand. I mean, think about that. God's so vast and great and wonderful and amazing and so big that we can shelter ourselves under His hand. I guess if we're having trouble being humble, looking up and seeing that the whole sky is just God's hand over above us, that the universe was measured out in the span of His hand to recognize how big and amazing and omnipotent and powerful He is, maybe that'd help us be a little more humble. But suffice it all to say, when those times come, we just have to recognize that we are, as a, a humble person, trying, endeavoring to be humble, we are doing that because that's where the hand of God has placed us. And that's what He asks of us. Then we see the confidence of the humble. You'll do that, that He may exalt you in due time. This is the real battle of humility. We want to take our part. We want to defend ourselves. After all, we deserve it, don't we? But if we'll trust God, you know what we'll find? One, He has the ability to exalt you at any time. But He only has the inclination to exalt you in due time. We see this again in the example of the Lord Jesus, right? Became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. He didn't look very powerful on the cross. It didn't look like He was victorious on the cross. Imagine what it would have, would have happened if Jesus had called those 10,000 angels. You and I would be headed for hell tonight. But instead, you know what? Uh, because he was willing to submit to the Father and allow God to have his way, allow the Father to have his will in his life, he went to the cross of Calvary. He endured uh, that which he despised. Uh, he, he, he endured the cross, despising the shame, uh, looking beyond that for the joy that was set before him. And it was accomplished in such a way that he was able to gain victory through the glorious resurrection. No part of God's plan was derailed, even in the slightest, and he purchased redemption for all of mankind. Any and all that will come unto him can be saved. I'd say this, he didn't lose by being humble. Instead, he submitted to God, and God did it in a way that couldn't have been done any better than the way God did it. If you'll, if you'll just trust God, he will exalt you, but here's when he'll do it. He'll do it in due time, in the proper time, in the most effective time. Any of us, if we find ourselves in a less than desirable position, we'd all say, no, I don't want to be in that situation, and we get ourselves out of it. Uh, but that's what humility is about. It's about recognizing we're not here to promote us. We're here to promote the Lord Jesus. And as such, I'll stay where you want me, God, until it's time for you to change things. Now, you may say, well, preacher, that seems a little rough. Seems a little unfair. Well, here's something God says to us. You're going to struggle doing that. You're going to feel as though you are being set to the side and, and as though your interests and desires are not the most important thing. I know, I mean, heaven forbid that ever be the case. But do you know why that is? Because your interests and desires are not the most important thing. The glory of God is. The will of God is. What you want, what you desire, is not the most important thing. But now, if it was me, if I was God, I'm not as nice as God is. You know what I'd tell you? I'd tell you what I heard my whole life every time I get dry it dried up. You ever get told that when you was a kid? I hated that. Dry it up. You'd say, how? How does a man even do that? How do you even? I can't make my eyes do that. How would I dry it up? And that's what I'd tell you. That's not what God tells you. He says when you're burdened, when you have care, when it gets difficult, when you feel forgotten about, when you don't see how this is going to work out, well, here's what he does. He says, take all those cares 
and you just go ahead and bring them. And I just happen to be right above you with my providential hand. He says, you just take him cares, throw them up there on top of my hand, and I'll carry them for you. Casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. Why do we fight for reputation? We want people to care about us. That's why we do it. We want people to care. That's why social media is inundated with pictures of, of people's lunch. We want people to care about what's going on in our life. Nobody cares. But did you know he cares? He cares for you. You see, here's the wonderful, glorious thing that God has done. If he can get you to quit caring, you'll finally realize that he always cared. If he'll, if he can get you to quit caring whether other people care, you'll finally realize that a person far greater than all those other people you're worried about caring about you cares about you. You can take those cares, cast them upon him. We see the comfort of the humble. That at the end of the day, there may be times nobody cares. And you may be tempted to take up your own part and fight your own war and your own battle and show them and make them. But instead, here's what you do. You say, it's not what I'm here for. I'm not here for me. I'm here like John the Baptist. Hey, he must increase and I must decrease. I'm not here about me. I'm here about him. And when that bothers me, here's what I'll do. Because I'm here for him and not for me, he cares about the things that trouble me. And we can take those cares, those burdens, those worries, and in communion with God, fellowship with God, we can take those things, pour them all out. You know, there's going to be times you're going to say, well, if I just, if I said everything that crossed my mind, I'd tell everybody how they're wrong for the way they've treated me, how they'll find out one day, uh, how they'll, they'll, they'll see that I'm right, how they'll, you say, preacher, what do I do? Well, if I was God, I'd tell you, shut up, quit complaining. But here's what God does. God says, no, I'll keep talking about it. Just don't talk to them about it. Talk to me about it. Bring it to me. All of those complaints, don't, don't not complain. Just pour your complaint out to the Lord. Take those cares and give them to Him. And you know what you'll find? You'll find that He cares about everything that you're going through. But that's only to those that are humble. It's only to those that won't take their own part and instead will let God take their part and they'll make it their mission in life to serve Him and take His part. There's power in humility. True biblical humility. And let me say not only power, there's peace in it. We ought to commit ourselves to an attitude, to a robe, to a garment, to a testimony of humility. In our lives. Let's bow together tonight as a musician comes to play. It wouldn't surprise me if in a group even this size tonight, if there's somebody struggling with the very things that we preached about. Things in your life that you want, you want to jump in, you want to fight your battle, you want to prove, you want to take your part. You're tempted to want to take that role in your life. There's a reason the devil tempts us with that because we're so susceptible to it. But you know what we ought to do instead is take that thing, put it in the hands of God. He can do much more with it, much better with it than we can. Won't you meet him at this altar and cast those cares upon him tonight? You'll find that he careth for you. Father, bless this invitation. May it magnify the Lord Jesus. We ask it in his name.